Hey, Dame. What's up? Do you know what today's date is? <sighs> Not exactly. It's like February something. It is February. It's the shortest month of the year. Mm-hmm. I think that means it's Black History Month. Ah. Boom, boom, boom. So for all you Black History buffs, <laughs> <laughs> go down to the Apple Store. It's a celebration of Black History Month. Learn from dynamic creators who are changing cultural narratives through visual arts, photography, poetry, dance, film, and more. Join creative sessions to connect, collaborate, and be inspired from February 1st to the 29th. And I'm here to vouch. For those of you that are skeptical of Black History Month and like, who are these people? The Apple Store folks are cool. We were hanging out with them all last month, did a great series. I'm rocking with them. I'm trusting their Black History stuff. That's Go do bold. it. That is bold. Here's a couple here's a, here's a couple things I got I just going. went out on the lip. For, for <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> here's a couple things they got going on this month. There's a video lab talking about how to use video and civic engagement on the 8th from 2 to 3 p.m., then Melody Angel is hosting a music lab showing y'all how to create a blues track. Then our good friends from 60 Inches from Center, shout out Tempest, Squat. are doing an exclusive on archiving your own story. Oh, that man. sounds right up That's our something alley. we should go to. And then the wonderful Roy Kinsey Boom. doing a music lab on crafting your musical memoir. And then another Ergo alum, Rach Jackson, doing some narratives in music on the 26th. So it's going to be another good month at the Apple Store. This limb... Is working pretty well for me. I'm standing on this branch. It's a bunch of our people up there. So go check it out. Visit apple.co slash Black History Month 2020 to reserve your spot. Hello. Hey. This is Ergo. This is indeed. That was sensual. Because I'm happy. I'm really satisfied mm. and proud of what we are presenting to people. This was a good one. What we do here is showcase the folks reshaping the culture of Chicago and beyond for the more equitable and creative. And I'm really excited to share the words, the thoughts, the ideas, and the work of the person who we talked to today. Debbie Southorn is an organizer. An organizer's organizer. I was about to do all the other slashes. And an organizer's organizer. Yeah, organizer. yeah. But, you know, some we, we heard a little bit of, like, education, music background in there. Uh, but but mostly just doing movement work around anti-racism, anti-militarism, uh, mostly centered in Chicago, but then connecting global and, and particularly around uh, Palestinian occupation. She's one of the co-founders of Black and Pink Chicago. She was an integral part of the No Cop Academy campaign and is now working with Dissenters, which is a new organization activating young people on college campuses across the country to build a vibrant forceful and powerful anti-war and anti-militarism movement. We talk about that. We talk about some of the ups and downs of her experience in the past year, coming out of No Cop Academy, finding her her footing a little bit again. Mm -hmm. Uh, We talk about dinosaurs for the first time (laughs) on the show. So for that one listener, Thomas, I know you've been waiting (laughs) on our dinosaur content. It's finally here for you. And we also um, had a great uh, nuanced conversation about the real human dynamics at play in movement, which Mm -hmm. is definitely always our jam. Uh, But but just hearing another iteration of how we need to treat each other and how we need to transform our relationships if we're trying to transform the world. So before we get to this conversation, a couple little announcements. Dane, what do you got? I have them. Wow. I have community announcements. Community, be prepared to be announced. Great things happening. Prepare yourselves. Prepare yourselves. So this February the 17th, 2020, in the Roman calendar that I question, but February 17th. Not today. (laughs) 
<laughs> show up at this time. 1 to 2 p.m. at the Douglas Park Fieldhouse. Add an S campaign. This is adding an extra S to Douglas Park to change it to honor Frederick Douglass, who was an abolitionist, over Stephen Douglass, who was an avid slave owner. Uh, so that's a pretty pretty easy fight. Get up <laughs> on in there. Um, the students at Village Leadership Academy have been doing a multi-year campaign around consciousness raising um, that started in the honor of Rakia Boyd. Um, so it started with trying to rename it Rakia Park. That became less politically um, viable. So it was like, how can we continue to honor our legacy and be creative? So there's been a great campaign, the ADAS campaign. There's been plenty of news coverage about it. Check it out. Uh, Let Us Breathe Collective has been in support as uh, Jennifer Pagan has been teaching at Village Leadership Academy. So go to that address, 1401 South Sacramento. It's a huge park, so you can't just say. It's the actual field house, 1401 South <laughs> Sacramento. And then also on February 16th, um, this is also the year 2020 in the Roman calendar. 5780 in the Jewish calendar. Thank you. I needed that balance. Buddhist Colin. <laughs> Yo, where, where, the, where the cabinet homies at? <laughs> Us down. <laughs> Need some more calendars. All right. Um, six to nine, there is going to be an alternate realities as resistance paradise now uh, at the Movement and Justice Gallery at the Westside Justice Center, 601 South California. That's going to be hosted by Journeys with Jenna. Also, Dion Victoria will be there. Our very own Ricardo Gamboa. Are they our very own? They're their very own. Okay. All right, Definitely their very own. <laughs> Ricardo Gamboa, Monica Trinidad, Mallory Raven, Ellen Backstorm. That's a four-part name. I'm, I'm rocking with you, Mallory. Um, this is, again, February 16th, 2020, 6 to 9 p.m., Westside Justice Center, 601 South California. We got one more oh, amazing man. announcement. That's a big one. You so, take it. on the 26th of February, the year of y'all's Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Ergo is excited to partner with the Black Youth Project on the first of a three-part live event podcast series called Unelectable. What we are doing is connecting electoral politics and radical imagination, talking about the contradictions there, talking about the ways that those two might be able to work in concert as we reimagine what's electable in this election year and beyond. So the first event on the 26th, 8 p.m., we're talking about protecting the public with Alderman Jeanette Taylor of the 20th Ward, Stacey Davis-Gates, who is the vice president and political director for the Chicago Teachers Union. Plus, we're going to get y'all in conversation around these ideas, and we're building a platform. An unelectable platform. So come be part of that. It's going to be a great time. Drinks abound. The Silver Room, 1506 East, 53rd Street, the 26th at 8 p.m., RSVP now. It's on all of our socials. You hear that community? Do you hear how announced you just got? You got so many things to show up to. Pop out. Lastly, make sure you review, rate, and subscribe on your podcast apps. Make sure you buy your t-shirt, ergoradio.com slash store. Check out the Ergo reading list. Check out our DJ mixes. Everything on ergoradio.com. Feel free to donate. You can support us oh, if you're down. Throw a little, throw a little, yeah. little cash right over here. That's ergoradio.com slash donate. If you don't, do not. So without any further ado. I just know I feel guilty when people ask for donations. It's like, I, mm. I don't got it. Mm. So don't feel guilty if you don't got it. <laughs> <laughs> Donate without the guilt. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so without further ado, let's get to our conversation with the one and only Debbie Southorn. Let's get it. Wait, hold on. In case I end up in... Can you pronounce your last name out loud? Oh, yeah, yeah. Southorn. Southorn. What a Southorn. clutch question. Southorn. 
I've never known that. That's what this work has taught us. Most have not known yeah. it. Yeah. Do most, you, you'll get a Southern? I get Southern, Southerland, Sathorn, Southron. Probably get some Southerns. People a lot of Southern. Club. What I get most surprised by is Southerland. Because I'm like, They're you added adding, a whole word to the end. Yeah. It means that people actually aren't reading. That's not yeah. what we do day to day. We're I, just like approximating. Yeah. Oh. I get David sometimes. <laughs> You're like, first two letters, that's all I need. <laughs> I'm cutting it off there. I believe it. Yeah. Do you still correct people? No. Southern. Southorn. 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 See? We're in the studio with a very special guest. Special indeed. Whose name we now know how to pronounce correctly. <laughs> That's excellent. <laughs> Debbie Southorn is here. <laughs> Before we get to our two-part question, you're good. I feel like you're a good person for this one. Yeah, yeah. If you could have any animal noise as your intro music, what animal would you choose? That's good. Yeah, that's how we're doing. Do they have to be alive right now? No. They don't oh. even have to be real. Okay. It could be fictional. Okay. Does the animal have to be alive? Great question. Well, I mean, because my go-to is just is going to be dinosaurs. dinosaurs. Yeah. Shout out to the dinosaurs. Yeah. So I saw something this week okay. about dinosaurs. Well, I've always felt that like the depictions of what they look like is just ridiculous and is probably not right. But they were saying, and we know that like birds are descended from them. Uh-huh. So they're saying that what we know is like the bone structure Mm-hmm. But we have almost no information about what was on top of the bones. Why they make them look like scaly, snakey So they reptiles. were probably just big-ass Bird. birds. Just like a huge... Big bird. Especially yeah. the carnivorous ones. Like mm-hmm. T-Rexes were like literally probably feathered. Yeah. So that's just a big-ass bird. That's crazy. <laughs> do, you, do you have a... Uh, do you get specific into the... I get a little specific. S- is it different genus, subspecies, types? What? what how do you... What are the categories? I think there's different species... Of mm-hmm. dinosaurs. Dinosaur? I mean, I'm not that. I'm, I am reading a book. I did start a book. I haven't got that far into the mm-hmm. actual different kinds of dinosaurs yet because it was preceding that. It was talking about what was around before. Pre-dinosaurs. Yeah. So and, you're doing the work. And also, like, <laughs> Pangea. Yeah. When ah, that shit broke up. Yeah. yeah. Right? Dinosaurs didn't actually start to thrive until after that. And and because before that, there were, like, giant salamander creatures mm-hmm. running around. But uh, um, they were I'm doing sorry, really good. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Could you elaborate, please? I mean, I'm not, I'm not an expert. <laughs> it was on sale at Barnes and Noble. Oh, we booked the wrong part. This was Dinosaur <laughs> Week. <laughs> so basically, what I'm learning is that there were three periods where they think dinosaurs were alive, right? Mm-hmm. The Golden Age. No, the, the Jiggy Era. The, the Triassic, the Jurassic, and something else. I don't remember that mm-hmm. last one. Jurassic Park, right? The movies. Mm-hmm. That yeah. was only one age of the dinosaurs. Wow. And it w- it was when they were starting to like really thrive and be dominant. But before it's that- It's like Diddy Bad Boy. <laughs> before that- Drawing this comparison. They were, they were just like one of many. And mm-hmm. they weren't the like, you know- the Super creatures. Yeah, this, what we think of them as now. And- before Pangea broke up, I don't even know if there were actual dinosaurs yet or if they just like the bones they found, they were like, these are similar to dinosaurs, but we're mm. not sure if they're dinosaurs. And I'm like, at what point can we just call them all dinosaurs? Because, mm. right? Yeah, yeah. Why are we doing this to ourselves? Right. Why? <laughs> they're not going to call us on it. <laughs> but dinosaurs were, are not going to hold us accountable. But there were before the dinosaurs that we think of, like the long necks, right? The brontosauruses and then the T-Rexes mm-hmm. and the... Everybody else. The other X's and Sauruses. Oh, there's so many. I get confused, but I did memorize one name this year that I'm what do you really got? proud of. Oh, Sora Poseidon. Ooh. Sora Poseidon. Okay. Guess what it is. Ooh, uh, I think so. It's in the water. No? And it has like a three horns coming out. Right? You would think that. No. What are, you, what are we looking at here? The tallest long neck ever. 
Mm. The giraffe of dinosaurs. Really? And it was like the equivalent of like 10 stories high. Like this thing was like huge. And I know this because I was in San Antonio for a friend's wedding. And you can see their footprints that are still in the ground. Wow. And San Antonio at the time of the continental shifts and divides was actually like the ocean. So Texas was the edge of the landmass. So these Sora Poseidons were going to the beach Mm. and happened to step in a way (laughs) that like their footstep got like remembered for, you know, know 100 million years. Yes. There were also, like, in more recent history, lots of huge animals in North America. That that I do know. That makes sense. Lions okay. and tigers and okay. bears. Oh, my. There were lions here? So, no. look, look no, what we're saying is, no, no, no. I mean, I heard it on a podcast. Okay. But there was, they were bigger than, like, six, one and a half times the size of, uh, like, a lion in Africa. They were the, oh, what are they called? They're called, like, plain, American Plains lions or something like that. And they were enormous. And they ranged all the way across the continent. You just made my day. Yeah, let's see. I'm going to do I a quick, little, quick little The Google. world has changed so much. Lions and dinosaurs. Like, that's what I take from this. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and, and this is the other thing, right? So dinosaurs are our past. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We currently, humans, like to think that we are, we're the shit right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I don't know if you remember when, when uh, Paige was on your live show. She told us about what's coming. The uh, cephalopods. Okay. They, got, okay. they definitely got next. They, they cephalopods got next. Got they got next. dibs. So the American lion... Because they can, they can do both? They're amphibious? Yeah, it's Not octopus. Yet. Right, right, right. But can octopus come on land? Not yet. Not yet. Right, we're waiting on that. But we couldn't come on land for a minute okay. either. Okay, that's the game. And they escape captivity. Yeah. Right. And like the rising temperatures of the waters. Yeah. The American lion has been found remains everywhere from Alaska to Mexico. Oh, my God. No, like you don't even know how I'm... I'm trying to act calm and sit mm-hmm, still, mm-hmm. but I cannot wait. But it's a big-ass lion. It's a big lion. Well, we went so far, we didn't even pick your dinosaur. <laughs> oh, right. Um, this is all the pre-intro questions. <laughs> I'm loving this. is this. a mess. <laughs> you said dinosaur. No, we're doing it. No, you no, let no. me. We, we have excited. no one to blame but ourselves. <laughs> I have a hard time with things like favorites. Like, if people ask me my favorite color, <laughs> it stresses me out a lot. Um... I mean, I think I really like Triceratops because mm-hmm. you've seen Land Before Time. Yeah. Yeah. Sarah's so cranky. Mm-hmm. Is that the two brained one? It's the one with the little horns. I thought the horns had two brains. No. Do they? Oh, I see what you're saying. Triceratops. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they're cranky, and I like to imagine they can smash through shit like walls. I used to call Land Before Time the Lammy for Time. That is Aww. really cute. Yeah. Just what a beautiful title, too. It took me like. Land Before Time. I wasn't sad. until like 24 until I realized, like, sad. oh, wow. Yeah, that's a, that's a that's bummer. A great so title. sad. All right, let's start where we start. Let's do this for real. In this, in this time, time. <laughs> after in the land after time, <laughs> in this moment, this season, however you defined what happened after the dinosaurs, <laughs> how's the world treating you? How are you treating the world, Debbie? I love that question. Um, Great. Also, though, I never, I wanted to hear one of you make the dinosaur sound, but it's okay. We can. I got nothing. <sighs> it's okay. I feel like it was a screech. It was like. Arr! All right. <sighs> How do you call that nothing? <sighs> These were so good. These were so good. That's what I got for for everybody. I don't know why I feel ashamed. I feel like (laughs) dirty right now. No, I'm I'm going to treasure these. Yeah, yeah, there you go. (laughs) No, I think that's actually you feel vulnerable because you made new sounds you Mm. hadn't made. So I want to applaud your vulnerable masculinity (laughs) for making some some new sounds, some new growls. Is that is that where the bar is? That the bar is that low? That a new growl. It, it you, congratulations. It counts, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, no, what, what got you, it was you naming that you felt funny mm. afterwards. That is yeah. me assholes. 
<laughs> yeah, instead of pretending that that was great and moving That's totally on. what a triceratop sounds like. Yeah. I Those were both really good guesses. So. Answer the goddamn question. <laughs> the <I> mean. world. <laughs> we're talking about my favorite thing. So obviously the world is treating me well right now. Actually, in the last couple of weeks, I feel kind of, it feels a little bit dorky, but like the new year actually helped me. Mm. Like psychologically, I feel mm. like the new year did feel like a, a turning of a page of sorts. And I don't know if it was actually the new year or if it was the... Uh, what is it, the equinox thing? Right. When the daylight starts coming back yeah. and like we get more sunlight, it's, I I feel the shift. Yeah. And I think I also just like was really craving an energy shift. I had a pretty mm. shitty year in a lot of ways and felt like I was kind of jumping from one crisis to another. And mm. so now I'm in a place where I feel like I actually got to hit reset. I got some rest. And now, even though the world is literally still awful, on fire, and who knows what's going to happen in yeah. the next year, mm -hmm. much less 10 or 20. Even though that's the case, I'm personally feeling more well than I've felt mm. in a long time. And I'm trying to, like, embrace it instead of feeling like that's something to be ashamed of. Like, yeah. no, 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 it's taken me a long-ass time to get here, but I think yeah. I'm doing pretty well. Why, why do we feel ashamed? Well, because you know, at least for me, it's like I know other people's shit is fucked up really bad like, today. I, I don't deserve it. It's like no one deserves it. <laughs> like, why should I have a better experience than somebody else? Yeah. I think that that's what it is for me. And so you have to just be like, well, that's literally the least helpful sentiment of all time. Does that resonate for you, Esther? Yeah. And I think also it's like when people are in crisis, like if I've been jumping from crisis to crisis and being support person mm -hmm. to playing a different kind of role, it feels almost selfish to like not also feel that panic or that like mm -hmm. adrenaline and that sense of... Uh, everything's awful. So and like not, not okay. internalize another right. person's feelings in addition to like try to help their lived experience. Right. So maybe all that's happened is I got better at compartmentalizing in the last like three weeks. Mm. But I think it also really does have to do with like rest and the energy shifts and yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I, th I think for me is also like the fear of naming it or claiming it, knowing that struggle and suffering is perpetually imminent. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like, like am I jinxing jinx myself it? Yeah, or, yeah. or am I lying or, uh -huh. is, or is it unclean or, you know, if I record this right now, if somebody hears it, you know, uh -huh. that, that type of thing of like right. struggle and despair feels so frequent that like uh -huh. when you are away from it, it's almost like uh -huh. peeking around the corner. And I think it's also, I think this past year for me has been coming to a place of recognizing that there isn't an end. Yeah, there, there, We don't actually ever get to turn the page and then things are sorted now. There's just always going to be a, th a thing. <laughs> yeah, and there's always multiple things. Like just now I got bad news. You know, I was hoping someone would get out today that's not getting out today. Mm. And I'm sad and I'm going to keep working on it. And at the same time, about two minutes before that phone call, I got a text of a baby that was just born. Oh. Mm. So I'm like, ah. Welcome to the world, baby. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things that I heard you just say, and it's consistent with how I know you we don't know each other that well, but where I've seen is that being in that supporting role and kind of guiding people through, whether it's like uh, organizing work or just personal challenges, that you're a person who supports and holds people through difficult things. Hmm. Um, one, does that ring true? And then two, in going through what you described as a challenging year, how much of those skills, if it does ring true, were you able to transfer and do that for yourself? Ooh, wow. Mm-hmm. Y'all know how to ask questions. <laughs> and as much or as little as you want to share. Yeah, no, and, and I also just appreciate you saying that. That's, like, really humbling to hear. It means a lot that you, people would even think of me that way. I think I've kind of 
in some ways accidentally found myself in a place where hmm. I'm someone that people look to for support. Mm -hmm. I mean, particularly like young folks uh, that I've been working with on different campaigns and projects around policing in the city. And then, um, you know, for a number of years have done work actually way back in the day. <laughs> I, my version of back in the day is like 2013, <laughs> uh, but helped start the black and pink chapter here in Chicago. Mm -hmm. So a bit of work with um, folks that are currently incarcerated or dealing with that revolving door. So I, I think it does resonate now that I end up finding myself, I've had to learn like, what does it mean to support someone yeah. um, across across many varieties of things? And um, I think what's what's been powerful about this past year is I think I've also been for the really trying to show up for my friends that mm. way too, that mm. it's like, we're so good at caring for like, People that maybe a few months ago were relative strangers, I can right. come, be, you know, I can yeah. I can throw down for you, like whoa. Mm -hmm. I'll put in the time, the yep. day. I'm there. I got you. You're yeah. Yep. But some of my older friends, I'm like, oh, but I know you've got safety right. nets. I I know you have right. sort of backup. But actually, starting to realize how much, actually, what matters is is time and our investments in each other. And so I think through being able to show up a little better for some of my friends and them showing up for me real hard this year. Now mm. I'm cir circuitously, I don't know how you say those cir words. Circuitously. Cir no, hold on. Let's get this right. There's a way to do it. Uh, <laughs> circuitously. Say it again. Circuitously. That's it. So I'm going to say it right. <clears throat> when you when you circulate around it. Yeah. Circuitously is, yeah, you like find your way the mm. long way. I like circulate better. <laughs> so now that I've, <laughs> that Perf my friends have really shown up right. for me in ways that I honestly don't even think that I let my friends before, you know, mm -hmm. like there was some real raw shit that I was dealing with and, and people showed up for me real hard. Now I think full circle, I'm like, oh, I can do that for myself too. Mm. Not very good at it yet. But simple shit like sleeping. Yeah. It's a whole different skill set, right? To like treat yourself as well as you treat the people you love. Mm -hmm. I think it's particularly complicated like as, I don't know, I'm someone who came to this work as a white person real schooled in anti-racism and mm -hmm. like always wanting to, you know, as much as I want to critique sort of like martyr complexes, I also of course am yeah. like yeah. have had to re wrestle with that and so I think there's this like, way that there's a possibility that I could be the shit if this, <laughs> if this all works out in a certain type of way I'm not quite sure <laughs> no it's it's, no, it's, funny. it's more there's this like ethic of like nah, if yeah. I'm actually like focusing on me that's like not the issue right, right? right but right. but actually starting to realize like man if I like can't function I sure as hell can't show up for somebody else yeah, that's, right that's actually something that like last probably like two to three years in my reflections and when people ever ask me to like offer perspective or, or formally teach. That's one of the things I say about movement work, particularly like the the more explicitly like confrontational, uh, is that we need to take on the reality that that we are the most impacted by this work. Uh. Right. Like, you know, at in the big picture, we we did not transform the Ferguson Police Department or Chicago City Council, but everybody who's shown up to the things that have happened, their life is change forever um and so like not having guilt in that because i think we also have these like myths of altruism but it's also like this is for our sense of community for our sense of self and if we prioritize that in like how we plan and how we structure and how we strategize of like we are confronting to transform and to heal or if not feed or at least be alive within ourselves in a way and like let's not hide from that and let's yeah. not like 
just say we're doing it for the abstract people, right? right? Like they're the actual people that we're impacting, but we're also impacting ourselves more than anybody. And we're trying to model it, right? right. Like right. in real time. I'm not saying that we know how to do it yet, but that's part of what you're modeling is like we're trying to create this other thing for ourselves so that we yeah. can have the benefits of this world that we're trying to create yeah. and then expand that. Yeah. And I feel like it can create a little bit of psychosis if we don't give ourselves the space to admit that. Totally. Yeah. And yet I think it, everyone has to arrive there. Right. <laughs> yeah, 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 like yeah. I still remember, I, I, again, I think this was 2013, maybe 2014, somebody giving me a little bit of, you know, hard to hear feedback about how I'm a workaholic mm. and, and, and that also then that translates into like other people not being able to step into certain roles necessarily because I'm taking them all up. But they were like, don't be a thank you for your 20s activist. And it stuck with me. Ooh. I was like, what? Unpack yeah. that for me. What that's, do you, what, I think shot. I know what that means. What does that mean? <laughs> and I went, what are you talking about? And they were like, don't be one of those activists that goes so hard during their 20s that by the time they turn 30, they're so burnt out that they can't do anything anymore. And like, we lose everything that you learned, right? Like yeah. they were basically just like, I see you on this trajectory and I'm trying to call your bullshit. Mm. It's funny because it's, I ha I feel complicated about that person, but that truth stuck <laughs> with me. And it, it was so funny to me this year because burnout hit me in a way that's, I've, you know, okay. I've experienced slight or some burnout. Like after a big, you know, I was thrown down during mm -hmm. Bye Anita. Mm -hmm. When that shit ended, I think I slept for at least a month. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. right. But the way things hit me this spring and summer, mm like to my core, I think was part of why then every crisis after that felt like the whole world falling apart again and again. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is what people yeah. are talking <laughs> yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. And I literally, I went into hiding. Like mm. people would be like, what are you up to? And I'd be like, mm, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, I'm, so I'm asking this less. <laughs> what are you up to these days? Oh, I'm deflecting. What are you up to? <laughs> <laughs> literally. So, I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. So I'm, I'm asking you less as like a... Uh, interviewee answer this concept but more like I personally process this and trying to figure it out myself like where do you draw that line just between like the depression of life and existence and like the actual physiology of depression and the like social political reality of this like burnout concept right like how, how do you know when it's just like I am depressed or like this is an overwhelming amount of responsibility that I'm taking on that's one yeah I mean I don't, I, mean, I don't, yeah, I don't yeah, know. No, I'm I, still trying to learn. <laughs> I think for me it was, right, that there were, like, certain indicators. Like, No Cop Academy as a campaign, mm -hmm. like, ended, right. right? I don't even think I had realized the pieces I was holding mm. and the toll they were taking mm. until sort of the shockwave after it ended. Mm -hmm. Similarly then, Stop Lightfoot. I mean, I'm, I'm still, like, if somebody talks to me about train takeovers right now, I feel it in my I'm like, I don't want to. I, like, I won't even, not only will I not take over a train, I won't even take a train. <laughs> it's close. I'm Actually, overtaking dissenters did an action with the, the, the new trainees at the end of that Founders Weekend, and they wanted to do a train takeover. Oh, yeah. I just, I got on the trains with them, and I would literally sit down. Yeah. And then I'd sit next to people and be like, how do you feel about war? And they'd be like, it sucks, I hate it. I'm like, word, <laughs> Right? Like, but that's all I could, I'm not going to yeah. shout, yeah. like, and again, and I'm in a better place now than I was a few months ago. Mm -hmm. Actually, I, I think if you all had reached out to me even two months ago, I would have said no. Shout out to us being disorganized. Because yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was two months ago we said it. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but I think for for me, the like what I'm speaking to is like burnout felt like so embodied mm -hmm. in a way that I was just like, which depression is also embodied, but in a different way. Mm -hmm. Like I don't know because I've also yeah I've, I've yeah. been on antidepressants for. 
years. Mm-hmm. Like, it, But it, I don't know how to explain that. I, it finally hit me. This is what everybody's talking about when mm-hmm. they're talking about the toll yeah. that mm-hmm. shit takes. Yeah, I think I think that was a good answer of like the response you have, particularly to like works of things that felt normal or were invigorating. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden they're draining. Yeah, the or the way. idea of them actually yeah. makes me f- want to stop. Which, like, which then is like... Freeze up. Is that yeah. about me or is this actually a healthy realization that we need to learn from, right? Like, is this my body and spirit and my experiences teaching me the limitations of some of our tactics? Mm-hmm. But there's some, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for going through them. Right. So it feels like other people should have to go through it. But then is this wall inevitable, you know? It's wild. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. one of my, one of my These buddies. These are the questions I ask. Yeah. <laughs> one of my buddies right now, I see them on this, like, they have 97,000 things on their plate and they're everything to everyone. And I'm just like, you're going to. Yeah. so soon and and i feel like every time we hang out i'm like that really annoying person that's kind of patronizing because i'm like yeah but be careful with this and be careful <laughs> about that and then uh, but at the end of the day like they're gonna live their life and they're right. gonna learn in their yeah. time i think part of why i'm feel like i'm stepping back into my life honestly mm-hmm. is because we are starting to build more practices together about being whole people Mm -hmm, and like i don't know just a couple weeks ago i was listening to the adrian marie brown episode again which like Mm. everyone should every few months like just 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 eat that up you know we need it when you get your oil change you should also listen to that just have it on a (laughs) literally (laughs) literally and so and and also actually with dissenters right Mm -hmm. one of the founders and visionaries behind that project byul yoon has been from day one She's been like, the way we do this has to be different. We can't just start a thing in a way that depletes us all. Like, we have to be building sort of more relational culture and more, yeah, again, I don't, I don't know what the right words are. Yeah. I want to say woo-woo, but, like, it's a little woo-woo, but no, it works. I and, mean, and it's, and it's, and it, that was the only project last year that I could keep showing up for yeah. wholeheartedly because yeah. it, 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 you could feel it. Yeah. It is woo-woo in the sense of, like, it's ephemeral and it's hard to, to like, pin down, but it, but it's not in the sense of, like, being insignificant. Because what right. we are no, saying I, is, like, we are we are confronting these structures or these targets because we want humanity to function in a fundamentally mm-hmm. different way. Which means at some point, people are going to have to radically change their behavior. And also what we are saying is we want a, no matter what tradition you come for, like, you want to call it socialist, co- cooperative, collective, anti you know, we want people to work together, right? We want people to treat each other well. <laughs> and, so we have to do that ourselves. And we want yeah. people. <laughs> we want people to join us. Yeah, and to like and, us. <laughs> and to like us. And like, if we're talking about ever getting the scale, yeah. like, we can't just be building things where we click out and then hate each other and yeah. then burn shit down. Mm-hmm. Like, I, you know, artists talk a lot about making the movement irresistible. Yeah. And I think that can't just be in how it looks, but it also is about how it feels. Yeah. Hey, you over there, you want to have a really intense negative experience? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Come on and join. You want to be exhausted to your bones? Yeah. So, so, so let's, I want to pull out a little bit of what that process, you said there's been like a year of this more social cultural transformation what, however you want to frame it, um, that's like re-energize you towards the more like political economy stuff. But in the middle of that, I want to like get some retrospect on No Cop because you named how that was like such a big transition for you. So you said in this last year, things Buell have been like pulling together. Like what are some of the lessons that came out of that or some of the fundamentals? So many. I mean, I think one is just that also an approach that sees people as whole people and not as just like, 
people to get tasks done Mm -hmm. as part of an organization, right? And I think it also is about an orientation towards like, Leadership development means building new leaders. Right? Mm-hmm. Like I got, I got my ass handed to me as an organizer in the last like year and a half, two years. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I really think I kind of came up in this idea of like, oh, there's bad shit happening, so we have to figure out responses, and like our little collective is going to come up with all mm-hmm. the things. We were always looking at ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. Even if a month from now, the only people I'm talking to are the people I was talking to last month. Like I'm, I'm not doing a very good job, right? Mm-hmm. And like. Mm-hmm. That building leaderful movements actually means, like, you're developing more leaders all the time who are oriented towards developing new leaders, not developing themselves or ourselves alone, right? Mm -hmm. Which is a hard thing to, like, navigate in the world of platforming and branding and, like, right? right? Because you can get a lot of shit done if you got a big name online, right? And you can pull a lot of people But, you know, I've been around a lot of people who ask, like, who are your people? Know who your people are, right? I think that's something, like, Ella Baker would say, right? Um, And it's something Paige, like, would name a lot, right? Mm -hmm. And and so then I I still don't know. That question is still complicated for me. I didn't grow up here. So, (laughs) eh, but I know the individual people that are my people, right? right? And then I also, when I think about who I'm trying to to really throw down for and make sure are getting the support they need to develop as leaders that are going to develop into leaders who develop more leaders. Mm-hmm. Like, I know who they are. Mm. So so anyways, that's all to say, I think some of it is shifting away from what can I extract from people in order to get a thing done and more who are we in the room and what do we have and how does that get us closer to where we're trying to go? Yeah. And so, yeah, if, if people aren't in a good place, it's not shame. It's, oh, you're not in a good place. Let's figure out what you need and let's figure out do we really need to be trying to do this thing you were holding down or can yeah. we adjust, right? And the adaptability and the fluidity and the like centering of the people that are in the room and not the like ideologies mm-hmm. that are supposed to be um, somehow getting us free. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. You know our, our relationships to each other have to inform our relationship to this world that we're trying to transform. And so one thing that I'm interested in and been talking to folks about and hopefully can initiate before the year is out is I think there was something really powerful about the language of like community benefits agreement, hmm. but it's very like external and institutionally centered. Mm-hmm. And so what does it look like for us as a community. cultural community <laughs> to mm-hmm. have agreements on how we interact with mm-hmm. each other and benefit each in other in a way that is beneficial. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like <laughs> that great. should be as important as a platform as rent control or as uh, an elected school board or an elected police accountability. Like I will not talk about people this way when they are not present. Oh my God. I will be accountable for my energy even if I don't feel bad. Like there are very basic patterns that at least for the last five years, but if you read the books the last 50 to 500 years, like people have been shitting (laughs) on each other and showing up in these kind of same ways. And it feels like banging our head up against the wall. We should really like take it as a lesson. And it's like, it needs to be hardcore strategy, not like the woo-woo that we relegated to. And and again, if you asked me what, what were some of those practices. And so- I kind of went off on a. No, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, no but, that's but, what I wanted. No, but really, it's it's trying not to gossip and shit talk. I'm also a Gemini, so like. <laughs> I was gonna say, are you? Do you have a natural proclivity for the shit yeah, talk? Well, yeah. I mean, it's also because it's kind of a form of currency. I mean, especially yeah. with organizers. Like, I think I I had a I have a proclivity towards it. Mm-hmm. I'm a Gemini, and I love people, and the people I love the most are sometimes the ones I talk the most about. This past <laughs> six months, I've been like. That gets me nowhere. Yeah. Mm. Like, 
If I need to work on something with somebody, I need to talk to them. Otherwise, I'm also, think about all the energy it takes to shit talk. That's not worth it. It's really not. I only have this much. I don't want to spend it shit talking someone that isn't going to impact my life. So that's a huge one. And and again, this is things that like Bill would be like making us like think about Mm -hmm. and name. Some of it is just more just like mindfulness. I'm saying woo-woo because I'm not trying to be dismissive, but because it's new for me. But like breathing together yep. and like like doing uh meditation guided meditations together to get centered and grounded like i actually am different in a space if we've all breathed together at the start of that space mm-hmm. right like you were just saying like our work has to be relational in part because in this era right our relationships in some ways are all that we have yeah hmm. right our what do you bre- mean by that yeah we are up against a handful of billionaires. Yeah, we don't have pensions. We got friends. <laughs> we, no, but who <laughs> are like single-handedly like have control over the police and yeah. military. Like the the state of our globe and our right. planet. Like, yeah. I, yeah, I could get together a few hundred bucks for somebody in a crisis, but like that is not the same thing. Like there's right. just the, when we the think scale, about the scale yeah, of yeah. what we're up against yeah. and then what we actual ha- actually have yeah. on our side – I really think the most powerful stuff we have is mm. is our relationships yeah. and our ability to build relationships and our ability to heal relationships. Yeah. And if we don't do that work, oh, and there's, we know the cost. And there's remarkable potential in that framework because it enables people to be nimble in a different way, right? Mm-hmm. So it's the like not taking power but making power type mm-hmm. thing. But we know even in like if we're extending the metaphor of like two sides in battle, like the side that like – and I, I don't want to use the war metaphor a lot, but like th- that can kind of like move through the woods and hi- and communicate to each other mm-hmm. through hand signals and mm-hmm. sounds mm-hmm. versus like just the marching on mm-hmm. and on and on. It's, it's like, oh, there's a, there's a potential in that if you don't try to like go f- mm-hmm. in line at each other, you know, the same way. Defensive too, right? Like because mm-hmm. it's, it's those tactics are never used to invade or conquer, mm-hmm. right? That's usually mm-hmm. to defend off some type of external harmful force. And like, yeah, we can't say don't respond to conflict violently if we have like socially violent responses. Or we mm. can't say people who commit harm should not be addressed with violent punishment if we are replicating some of those same punitive, mm-hmm. reactive n- natures. Or if we're still doing it, we should just name it as a limitation. Yeah, because then we have work to do. And I think the other thing too is that like there's a difference between like boundaries and like harm like punishment yeah. right that like yeah. that also or consequence consequences, consequences and boundaries yeah. like like or there's a difference between boundaries and borders just mm. like there's a difference between consequences and punishment right. mm. and so i'm not talking about i pretend that everyone can be in every room together right. hell no yeah. like there are some people that i'm not going to be in rooms with <laughs> yeah, yeah. period yeah. and i know that yeah. and actually having clarity on that helps me be more fully present in the rooms i yeah. decide to be in but yeah so so breathe together mm-hmm. also drink water I also believe in food. There should be food at anything we're doing. Yep. People need to be fed. Everybody I, eats. Always. So always. You're, t- you're saying that some of this, not that the ideas are new to you, but the like centering of it or the importance of it is new. And you also mentioned that some of your entry point was through kind of hardcore anti-racist work. Like, So what was your entry point into this work? And what were the, um, not even ideologies, but kind of the containers of that, that you've either carried with you or chosen to discard, and and I'll add to that question. I feel like I've heard you, a complicated question. No, me. I feel like I've heard you tell this story before, and I feel like I remember there being a direct provocation 
of your consciousness that kind of mm-hmm. push you forward. So mm-hmm. I just wanted to throw in yeah. that part. Yeah. So I'm like the classic, like, I grew up in a suburb of Portland, Oregon. Right, right, right. Dad's a pastor. Mom's a musician. Went to college to be a music teacher. And then— You do a, have big music teacher energy. Oh. <laughs> no, that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I okay. will now say thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But a few I, months ago, I might have been like, oh, what does that mean? <laughs> no, I, under, I understand. You don't want— I, but. Cool music teacher. Yeah, cool, yeah, yeah. cool. Yeah, I yeah. Appreciate it. Not like band leader, like music teacher. Two different things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're very different. I see with a guitar on your back. Let's, let's do it. Let's, let's acoustic this thing. Let's do it. <laughs> I've, I, I have one sing along that I will that will be my anthem to the end of days. But um, which is? Oh, it's. It, you don't have to delete it. Just what's the song? What's the name of it? It's. I mean, you're, you're gonna giggle. I wrote it when I was 19, but it's "Make Music, Not War." Ooh. There it is. That's right. Yeah. yeah. There it That'll is. It. That's the story. That'll do it. <laughs> So you went. So. so I'm in college. I'm 17. I'm a freshman. It's eight in the morning at Spanish class, and somebody pounded on the door, came in, and read a manifesto. And it was students of color organizing on campus. I went to a liberal arts school that was 83% white. What school? Willamette. Willamette. Yeah. A school of 1,700 and 83% white. So you can imagine students of color were having a great time there. Mm-hmm. No tenured faculty of color, no diversity center or social justice, like mm. formal support from the school for any of that. So students were organizing with a set of demands. And I remember being confused and really tired because it was eight in the morning. But my Spanish teacher said that she wouldn't punish anyone who left. You could go join the protest out on the quad, but she was going to keep teaching. And I also needed to go grocery shopping. <laughs> and I was so I was like, I guess I'll just yeah, yeah. get out of class early. Why not? <laughs> And I went out to the quad, and that's where I saw the— Shout out to that Spanish teacher. That's such a subtle, appropriate use of power that has had lifelong impact. That's great. (laughs) Do you speak Spanish, though? I just stayed in class. That's the (laughs) trade-off. It's a colonial (laughs) tongue anyway. Forget it. Keep going. (laughs) You don't want me to. Um, Really quickly was just like— Saw both students of color and also white students who had been in, you know, the opening days stuff, you mm. know, talking about racial justice. And I honestly don't even think I had heard the words racial justice before mm. or social justice. Like, I remember, like, going home to my parents and being like, have you guys heard of social justice? <laughs> it's like the new civil rights. <laughs> like, how have we not talked about this? Because, I, you know, I really yeah. I had a strong, like, community service ethic growing mm. up. Right. Like, volunteering was, I thought, literally yeah. the best thing in the world. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I thought I was a very good person. Mm-hmm. So that I was blown away to realize there was all of this yeah. that I just had had no exposure to. Did that make you feel like less of a good person? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And then I went a deep dive into a ton of white guilt and shame. And I, I ended up taking a bunch of, you know, like ethnic studies and critical race theory classes. And I mean, I, I think on my campus, we also did something called white caucus. Like mm-hmm. literally not even as part of like a, a group where then you would caucus. It was like just like white kids on campus being like, let's talk to each other about how we're going to unlearn our bullshit that comes with being white. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was a lot of things. Just it a, was complicated. It's just a bad name. Oh, that too. <laughs> <laughs> we also, it was like up on the top floor of like one of the student centers or something. So like we literally had like secret meetings <laughs> upstairs in a closed In room. the ivory tower. <laughs> That's funny. And now let's go to White Cock. But that was an ent- as an entry point. It was an entry you know, point. So I don't want to dug it too much. Yeah. What, um, yeah pulled you through the depths of, of white guilt? Yeah, I mean, 
Well, so then I I really wanted to move to the Bay Area because I thought that's where the revolution was. Mm-hmm. I was like, I gotta get there. That's 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 a fair research. <laughs> and I was also born there, <laughs> okay. so I was like, that's responsible. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. gonna go where I have family. My folks had moved away from the suburb I grew up in while I was in college. They had moved to Erie, Pennsylvania. Mm. So I was like, sounds what? eerie. It and it is. I mean, it's a really it's a Rust Belt like yeah. mostly Catholic town that I'm just like. What am I? I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna yeah. move to Erie, but I wanted to be closer to them. I couldn't find a job in the Bay Area where I have extended relatives, mm. so I came to Chicago on an AmeriCorps gig mm. with the Lutheran Volunteer Corps, All right. and thought I would be here a year, maybe two. Um, what year was that? That was 2010. Okay. What kind of preacher was your dad? He was Presbyterian. Presbyterian. So you grow up like I mean, most people who are preachers' kids. It's like a very Develop. Not consuming, but it's it you know it's a center place of your life, and then you can oh, yeah. build up from there. And you mentioned some of the like volunteer framing, not even like the specifics of racial justice, but just the idea of like a responsibility to others. Yeah, how present was that, and like what from that experience of if any are you still carrying with you that feels like a good thing in your pocket? Because I'm I'm really interested in like yeah, not just discard like we can discard institutions, but what are the the strands of the yeah. spiritual life that's still useful. And when I laugh when I'm telling my history, it's because to me now it makes me cringe, mm-hmm. but I'm also like, anyone who wants to hear it, I'm like, oh, yeah, hey, little oh, white kids it. at liberal arts schools. Like, yeah, let's do it. Like, like, yes, there are many paths. And I think that was important for me to learn too. I thought for a long time, like I had to figure out how to, the right way of being a white person that was going to like do this work. Honestly, what what pulled me into where I am now is that I stumbled into a project with Miriam Kaba. Mm. So Lewis Wallace yeah, and so Andre Perez. I my my LVC placement was with Free Spirit Media. Oh wow! So I'm at NLCP, uh, a TA in a classroom in North Lawndale, kicking it with these young people. I'm like 21, I think, when I came. You here. are the young people. I, I know, <laughs> and they're 17. Yeah, and. Also, I think I was like the like Gay Student Alliance Club ah. like sponsor. So, I, you know, I'm I'm having a good time with these You're in there. students and I ended up staying a second year cuz I was just like I can't leave yet. Mm. And NLCP is this like incredible school that at the time, I think it's still the case they That's didn't. That's North London College Prep. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they don't have security guards and they don't have metal detectors. Mm. And they really pride themselves on that. Um and so sort of in two parts, Lewis and Andre pulled me in to help do some of the story collecting with Chain Reaction, alternatives to calling the police on young people, because hmm. I had these like, you know, video skills. And then through that, I was like, you know, met this Miriam Kava person who I was just like, she's brilliant. Yeah, ring the Miriam bell. Yeah. We need a Miriam bell. Yeah. Tried to go to everything she was talking about. And then she recruited me in 2012 to go do a... A documentary with her on the different approach to school safety, mm-hmm. really featuring NLCP. And so, you know, again, I, I also read The New Jim Crow with some friends. And then we decided to have a black and pink letter writing party. And we accidentally put my address as the home ad- return address. And so then I had 60 letters from folks that are locked up. And so we kept organizing meetings to keep responding to the mail and eventually formed a chapter. So in some ways, I got organized, right? I was out here being like, I'm willing to say yes, mm-hmm. but I yeah. really— the other thread for me is that when I was in college, I went to Palestine. So mm. I studied at Birzeit for a semester in 2008. I took a year off or a half a year off school and lied to my parents about what I was doing. Oh, what did you tell them you were doing? I was going to music school because uh, there's a Birzeit conservatory. Nice. <laughs> and Why did you lie? They're just worried about me. And I think we're not excited about the idea of me being there alone at 19 yeah. um, for 
explicitly political reasons. Like mm-hmm. I wanted to spend more time with Palestinians, learning about the history of resistance and do what I could to support. Yeah. So it wasn't like a, a fear of like the politic being rejected. It was more like this it's is too physical. dangerous that. and they won't yeah. let me yeah. be, take the risk. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it does seem like a top 10 parents not wanting your young child to go hang out there yeah. type of place. Yeah. Because then I came back like, I was depressed. Mm-hmm. I was drinking a lot. Mm-hmm. I, w- I also came out, like, I think a couple weeks after I got back. They lived in Erie, Pennsylvania, which suddenly means I'm, like, in snowstorms when I grew up where there's no snow. Yeah. Like, it was just, like, hot By the mess. way, Erie, home of the Seawolves. Is it? It's the minor league baseball team there. But I had to look that one up. Usually I just know it off top, but I didn't know that one. So. No, it's real. Full disclosure. It's real. Anyway, yeah, it's just a, a subtle game we play is that he knows all the minor league baseball teams. It's so, impressive. So somebody, but I didn't have the Seawolves in my pocket. I think they're new. <laughs> An expansion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you come back, you're in this state, you're you deep just in, came in a out. snowstorm in a bottle, you just came out. Yeah, you can imagine I was like really nice to my parents. Because <laughs> I also knew lots of other people in Erie. I'm shaking yeah, my head. Yeah, yeah. I knew no one there. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm, it's college winter break and I just got back. And also this was 2008, 2009. So Operation Cast Lead was happening. I'm not familiar. What's that? That's when they bombed Gaza and oh, killed. okay, mm, okay. Israel killed 1,400 people, at least 500 of them children. It was like the first yeah. major, major massacre like that Man, of yeah, the... Yeah, yeah sort of mid-2000s. I, I think that was the the turning point or the like the first seed in folks starting to like clip at the Obama mythology mm. that was produced. That was like the first yeah. term of mm-hmm. like, oh, this is now a contradiction of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, mm-hmm. this is not Nobel Prize winning mm-hmm. activity or responses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was angry out of my mind. I had no material connections to organizing still. Wait, the bombing happened after you got back? Yeah. Oh, wow. So okay. I'm in at my parents' house in Erie, yeah, wow. drinking, also just came out to them, also just told them that I hate the church and it's a colonial institution. <laughs> I'm sorry for that. No, it's so real. <laughs> and I was like, I was doing it all. And like, we just asked you to pass the potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> so it was interesting because when I got to Chicago, honestly, like I feel so lucky and grateful that I got pulled in to good mm-hmm. work and by people who grounded me and like really helped me root me in a politic. I was also when I first got here doing a lot more Palestine solidarity work. Mm-hmm. I you know from my time there I vowed I would not go back until Palestinians could be there. Like mm-hmm. like nope. Like this white kid does not need to spend time there again. I met who I needed to meet and I learned what I needed to learn and so I, I sort of again this is where I'm like the martyr stuff feels mm-hmm. real for me because I had a couple other opportunities to go back and 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 just refused because I had been asked, right, to, like, organize here, right? Yeah. Organize for BDS. But then it was so hard to find ways to do that because I wasn't a student and student yeah. divestment was popping off. Just to go back one step, mm-hmm. obviously that is a worthy struggle. But what was it about that particular struggle when you're sitting in campus and you're trying to figure out where to plug in? Why was that the thing that called to you? Yeah. yeah. It's like kind of a catch for it. Like, people cannot know what's going on and be like, just say free Palestine now. Yeah. In a way that that, that wasn't was not the, the case. Yeah, yeah, in 2008. Um, so I first started learning about the occupation in 2002 because I was in high school. I was a freshman in high school. My brother was a senior. So he was in current events class. Mm. He would watch the news so he could win current events competitions. <laughs> And that was when the second intifada was going on. At the time, right, that was when more suicide bombings were happening. Mm -hmm. And I remember just being so profoundly wrapped up in, like, 
what does it mean for people to go to this length, right? Mm -hmm. So I would argue until I was blue with anyone who wanted to try to say that, like, you know, Israel had to defend itself because I was like, what does it take someone to go to this length, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And How much of that, sorry to cut you off, how much do you think that came out of the experience of being a young person during 9-11, if any? Oh, no, I think it's it was very connected. I mean, I was confused, right? Because right. I also wrote a poem about how much I hated Osama bin Laden. Mm-hmm. Right. But then I was also like, but we have to understand, like, the roots of, of what we call mm-hmm. terror, right? And I also, in 2003, when we started the Iraq War again, Rachel Corey was killed mm-hmm. in Gaza. She yeah. was from Olympia, Washington, which is like mm, two hours from Portland, where mm-hmm. I grew up. And she was this white blonde girl who looked like me. And I was mm. like, what was she doing there? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's where I learned about the international solidarity movement. And so, okay. and also there was a Palestinian Christian who was the head of the Presbyterian church in the United States at the time, Fahed Abu Akal. And he knew my dad and he mm. had come to our church. So mm. Palestinian Christian ideology and Palestinian Christian liberation theology was shaping me as a high schooler even before I had any concept of organizing, mm-hmm. my introduction to power honestly was thinking about Palestine and also the U.S. support of Israel. Mm. And so I actually was really, really lucky and had the chance in 2007 to go there with my dad mm. on like a witness trip with a Palestinian Christian group called Friends of Sabil. So we had gone for about a week. Again, I'm, I'm laughing because I had gone with all these mostly retirees mm-hmm. who have been peace activists for their whole lives. And we were supposed to write bios. And mine said, I like Doritos and Diet Dr. Pepper. Because <laughs> I didn't know that that's where you... Well, you didn't have hot credits at that point. <laughs> I don't know. Pull out my CV. <laughs> so, so when I got back from that trip, I was just like beside myself with how do I spend more time there? And mm-hmm. in a way that like is more authentic because I felt like... I feel really complicated about those trips now, but I know mm-hmm. also... A lot of people have been galvanized into long-term mm-hmm. organizing as a result of of spending time mm-hmm. in the West Bank and in Palestine. So I'm I'm trying to get to a place now where I don't see anything as just like right binary. It's not it all good and it's not all bad. Create contradictions and it got you into this. Yeah, and also the, the that that choice might still hold true for you of like there are personal reasons, but that doesn't mean that everyone else has to right. make the same choice and it's not right. So so that that is a, a very like clear cut arc of like suburban Christianity being provoked into this kind of like global political consciousness and then being provoked with this like internal, like social anti-racist consciousness, you know, on campus, you end up here, then you get pulled in black and pink emerges. Uh, you were, we charged genocide adjacent or uh, yeah, active. Yeah, yeah. Active. It was at my, it was at grace place. So right. Right, 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 right. I was, right. So, so re- we charge black and pink. And I think that then culminates into um, the No Cop Academy, which I really want to talk well, about. Let's clarify. Is there anything that, you want to clarify? Does that feel like a, a clean arc? Or well, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna add one other piece, All right. which is I I just have to give a shout out because it was a, another part of my political trajectory. Mm-hmm. Omar Barghouti visited Chicago in mm-hmm. 2013, and he refused to come to the North Side. He would only speak on the South Side. In a lot of the ways, he's one of the sort of founders of mm-hmm. the current BDS movement and mm-hmm. making the call for international support. So he didn't go to AAA in, okay. and I remember him explicitly saying to your solidarity with Palestinians means nothing if you live in Chicago and aren't doing everything you can to support like black liberation movements. Mm. And I was what sitting, year was that? I think this was like 2012, okay. 2013. Mm. And I remember being like, oh. 
Yeah. And so I'm just saying that to say, like, you know, when people visit places and how we do international yeah. solidarity, like, it matters. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I'm glad you said that. It's something that I think a lot about in relation to, like, this particular struggle and in general is that there is this comfort with challenging the gross inequity and violence of that without bringing it home and making those mm-hmm. connections, mm-hmm. right? And, like— it's why I think militarism is a really useful uh-huh. umbrella to understand what we're fighting against because it's not about the particulars. It's about this is how this system plays out uh-huh. in all of these different uh-huh. areas. And there are probably places, like you said, where I can be more useful challenging this closer to home. And that's a good way of kind of um, mitigating some of that martyrdom or mitigating yep. some of that, like, I'm going to go there and, and heroically yep. not even say it. It doesn't have to be said, but just like my presence is a <laughs> present. Anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so... It's almost like a disassociative thing mm-hmm. of like, let me go to someone yeah. else's struggle. No, right. 100%. Right. And I, I've been also really, really lucky. My day job is with the American Friends Service Committee. Yeah. Okay. So I took that job in 2012 when NATO was coming to Chicago. I found a little internship basically to be doing presentations with high school students about global and local militarism. For those who don't know, what is yeah. American Friends Service Committee? It's a fascinating place. It's a 102-year-old Quaker uh, peace and justice Quakers organization. don't get enough love up here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those Quakers, they did some things. They did some things. They do some things. There's offices all over the country, but also world. There's like global programs. And in Chicago, they've done a number of different things. They started in the 40s doing uh, resettlement for Japanese refugees hmm. uh, after World War II. And so, again, I got pulled in around... NATO was coming to Chicago. Perfect. Like the, like a yeah. place to talk about what does that mean locally in terms of militarization of police. But I also hate saying militarization of police because police are inherently it militarized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And everyone who is anti-militarist should be opposed not just to the excess of violence that mm-hmm. we see with right. bigger guns but and tanks. But yeah. Yeah. like stop and frisk is militarism and it is torture, yeah. right? Like right. that's what we charge genocide started to do with that stop and frisk campaign that got mm-hmm. stolen by ACLU. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah. yeah. You want to talk about that or, or nah? Can we talk about the Quakers? <laughs> we can try. I don't know a lot about Quakers. All right. They do you just know do you more about dinosaurs or Quakers? Dinosaurs. All right, then let's keep it tight. <laughs> just the Quakers are on to of the of the whites that arrived, they've done some real good shit. Who's a Quaker you know we should talk to? Do you know any Quality Quaker Quakers? <laughs> Quakers we should I, shake with. I a, I, a friend with. of mine. The Shakers named... are a whole actually a whole other group. <laughs> oh damn. It's an off it's a similar movement, but a slightly they got the Quakers and the Shakers. Wild. And you got to let the poppers pop and the breakers break. <laughs> Wild. You with your, your extended hip-hop metaphor today. <laughs> so the Quakers and the Shakers are the poppers and the loggers. <laughs> I bet that's okay. the first time that's ever happened in reference to AFS. Uh, that's what we break, Breaking boundaries table. here. Yeah. I would shout out my friend Joy Ellison, okay. is a Quaker, who also does a really good job of uplifting. Yes, Quakers have done a lot, and some Quaker reforms— are also part of how we're here. Like, it was Quakers who were like, the death penalty is bad. And so then they were like, okay, let's have solitary confinement. (laughs) But the two things that I'd really rock with, one, steady pacifist, deep to the core, no, there is no excuse for war. Two, silent meeting. Mm. So part of the practice is Mm -hmm. everyone gathers in a room together and so a lot of like Quaker schools, this will be the like morning assembly. Everyone's in a circle and it's just silent until someone needs to say something. Mm. And that's usually only after a certain amount of time that you just sit there silently and breathe uh-huh. together. So to your point, like uh-huh. that's built into the, into the process. 
Mm-hmm. So I just want to shout out the Quakers yeah. real quick. Yeah. We talk too much in our meeting. Shout out to, to a silent <laughs> meeting. All right. So with our time left. Yeah. I want to do a no cop into the center because mm. I think that also articulates the point you're making of like the local to the global of how militarism is instituted. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think folks who listen to this, like they may know a lot of like the B through Y of it, of, of no cop. And if they don't, like it's very Googleable. But like I would love the A and the Z. Yeah. Well, and I think the A, so how it started is like, you know, some of us caught wind of this. There was a, a press release that the mayor's office put out, and then it became a news article of like, oh, we're going to build a state-of-the-art police training academy. Also, I feel like most people have named you caught wind of this. Yeah. <laughs> but other people too. Charles Preston posted it on Facebook. Okay. And so then I saw it, and Shout I was on Charles. a camping trip with some friends, and I was like, you guys, this is disgusting. <laughs> Who's going to do something about it? And... Tried asking around and and hadn't really heard that there was organizing yet. Yeah, and so then the first person I turned to was Paige because I was like, mm. <laughs> if, if you're not going to bite, then this yeah. isn't going to go anywhere. <laughs> she was very clear. She was like, I, I'll I only will be a part of this if it's about teaching young people about what a campaign is, specifically young people mm. from Asadas, and only if they want to do it. Mm-hmm. So then we had a meeting. It's very Pagean. It's very Pagean. Page with the goddamn morals and the, and the <laughs> just, intentions. Just always a very defined but principle. But also good organizing, yeah, 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 right? Yeah, yeah, and I'm yeah. naming it because then we our first meeting was like a handful of abolitionists we've worked with before, mm-hmm. you know, from FTP, from the Bond Fund, from OCAD. Mm-hmm. And then it was also five youth from Asadas, right? One of whom just had a baby this morning. Oh. Hey. Welcome to the world, Avery. Oh. Yeah. Um, and one of whom uh, we lost in September. Uh, rest in power, Mike. So these five young people, you know, were there. And this is where we kind of talked about what this would be. We had no idea what we were doing. Mm-hmm. We thought it would be included in the budget. That was going to be in October. We had our first meeting in August. So we figured, let's meet in August. Let's launch in September. Vote in October. Then we're done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, look, we taught you about a campaign arc, an escalation. Boom, boom, boom. Obviously didn't happen that way. Um, but I think because of the intention behind we move at the speed that we have relationships with right. young mm-hmm. people meant that we did things in a completely different way than I've ever been a part hmm. of things. All of our media contacts, for the most part, like we, we did our best, but actually after young people give a few media interviews, they're like, this is boring. <laughs> they ask me the same questions. Yeah. And why do these people have my cell phone yeah. number, right? But but all our media reps, we tried to make sure we're, we're young people, we're high school students mm. and or... 20-ish and under. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if you like went to college and had graduated and were trying to get involved, like there's other roles for people to play. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms mm-hmm. of who we're trying to make sure is centered in terms of helping make decisions about strategy and big actions and what the tone will be and what we're going to do and how we do it, we tried to carve out space with young folks. Yeah. So obviously the rest is Googleable. Chance showed up in November at the first actual vote once we started learning about the actual process. Mm-hmm. And then it got really big. And everyone had wanted to join, including way more young people from hmm. other youth orgs and mm-hmm. just unaffiliated young people who were like, what's up? Yeah, what, yeah. What, where do I go? Yeah. Right? And so we figured out this fascinating sort of structure of weekly youth meetings, monthly adult meetings for all the other orgs that wanted to be involved, some working groups, hmm. and uh, did our best were to there keep any sh- going. It feels like a historical lesson is like the rapid expansion is always super exciting and brings about a certain level of like impact that wouldn't be there, but then comes with like some real drawbacks and setbacks. Did did that moment of, you know, chance showing up and then it becoming a little bit more viral and then there being this like in poor 
cause challenges? I mean, there were tons of challenges all the time whenever you work with any people. Mm -hmm, I think one of my reflections was (laughs) we always thought it was urgent. We always thought the next vote was around the corner because we're dealing with the city and the city doesn't have to give you a heads up. They only have to tell you 24 hours before a city council meeting what's on the agenda. And they can move the fuck out of a goalpost. And they they did that with us, right? And so I think we were in rapid response mode for a year and a half, Mm -hmm. Mm. right? Instead of recognizing that like we have to be able to like breathe and like we don't have to meet every week. Again, we just always thought, oh, they're going to drop the date now. We're going to—they're going to drop the date now. I remember yeah. when they dropped the name of the contractor they had picked in November of 2018. We had an emergency meeting. There were like 70 people at the Chicago Freedom School. I swear, 40 of them were youth, and they're all like, "All right, what are we going to do?" And we were like, "We don't know when the vote is, so but but we think it'll be like it's just a list of things we don't know." Exactly, and like you can't actually organize in that way in those times. And so I think my big reflection is like, okay, how do you actually do long-term campaigning? And can we get the Z of it? Because I feel like oh. the how the how sure, it sure, ended sure. and how it closed. Because like I was aware that uh-huh. it was over and then I was just aware of the political landscape, but also I didn't sure. get the like no, the how Z the book is still closed. coming. The book okay. hasn't closed. Okay. Mm. So Miriam, shout out Miriam, Always. had this great idea over the summer. Here's what the bell is going to be. It's going to be like a little like trumpet fan for like. I think we should find a, a soundbite of her. Mm. Mm. All right, we'll work on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like her ad lib. Like when she's like irritated and like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, no, I can I'll see if I can. We'll go yeah, back. We, we we'll got to find some. the sound bite. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's just true. So Miriam had this great. You know, we were kind of like Miriam. We lost the votes a couple months ago, but there's still energy, and we still feel a certain amount of responsibility because so many people were introduced to the idea of abolition through No Cop mm-hmm, Academy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, I still get texts. Almost weekly being like, I know some young people who want to do abolitionist organizing. Where should they go? Mm. And I'm like, well, we're not having meetings right now. Have you looked at these? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But you want to have a good answer for that question because yeah. that's the, the right question yeah. to get. It is. Yeah. And well, and some of this was like personally where I was at right now. I'm like, I got you. Let's yeah. let's talk. Let's chop it up. So Miriam's idea uh, was close it with some kind of a convening or a conference to be able to actually reflect on what you accomplished. Yeah. And then also offer people next steps, even if those next steps aren't, okay, here's how we're going to chain ourselves to the construction, which Mm -hmm. if anyone is trying to do, like, no one's trying to say that resistance can't continue. Mm -hmm. No one owns opposition to Mm -hmm. this awful building, right? So keep that in mind, (laughs) right? We believe in being decentralized and autonomous. And at the same time, so in April, April 11th, we finally found a date and got a little support, and young folks were excited about this idea of having sort of a closing mini-conference mm-hmm. for folks who are like, okay, I've heard now what abolition is as, like, an idea, but, like, what does that mean in yeah. terms of, like, other organizing efforts, and what does that mean in the long haul that people have a chance to, like, come, get rooted, connect, and also look back on what we learned. Yeah, so the Z is still dis- coming. It doesn't just dissipate also as, a, as an L. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Well, which we kind of did for the last, like, <laughs> 10 yeah. months. It's been a lingering out and 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 how did that then connect (laughs) how did that then connect that's what i caught that like got us here you you mentioned like the transition out of that being so wrapped up into like your own personal state and well-being but then also part of what propelled you into the dissenters work that we want to yeah close cover i mean just real quick so the there was the end of the campaign there was the election which i've never thrown down so hard for an election before in my life and it wasn't even sucked it It just just, electoral politics 
especially that one. I felt like I watched all of these brilliant organizers. Sorry to cut you off. But these brilliant organizers who were doing amazing things in all these different directions, all of a sudden, all the energy went toward this mayoral campaign. And then everyone felt shitty and then it all fell apart. And then yeah. people had to try to pull it back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, that's what happens when you put all of your eggs in representational politics yeah. baskets. It like yeah. doesn't. And at the you, same time, you. and at the same time, we can't seed that ground, right? Sure, sure, sure. So, right, right, right. so how do we do both? And people still love to be like, "Stop, Lightfoot! We're so glad it happened because because you guys were right." And thank you. And I'm like, then can you pay me the fifteen a month for the website <laughs> domain that I'm still paying for? Some I mean, reason? You are sitting on that domain. <laughs> <laughs> I think I saw you share it. Yeah, if anyone wants it, um, I finally stopped playing for the Weebly because I was like, we we already know the yeah, truth yeah. is out. Yeah, yeah. But um, and she's gone. <laughs> she's. She's she's her own worst enemy right now. Yeah. Sanders and Warren did not reach out to me. Oh yeah, you saw that. So she's like, I'm this. not endorsing them because they didn't talk to me. They they were fans of CTU, but they didn't come and talk to me. It's like, well, that's because one, you were in opposition to CTU. <laughs> yeah. oh. Two, like who are yeah? You there's no yeah. responsibility yeah. to yeah. come chop it up so with the, the yeah, just sure. because yeah. Ivanka Trump came and met with you like doesn't mean that oh now right all I forgot about that after I like, forget. I, Just I, because you dress like a like a mafia don doesn't mean <laughs> that everyone has to treat you like guys, come kiss the ring. I forget about her sometimes. Guys, I I, I literally disassociate. I, I ended up being so close to her once in this meeting that I don't know why they invited Ivanka? me to. No, 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 Lightfoot, and her suit was shiny. In oh, addition, yeah, yeah. it does not make sense. It doesn't make sense because it's like what cultural context are you pulling from? Like who? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Right. <laughs> so exactly. right, like, white people don't wear suits like that. Black people wear suits like that, get them tailored. Not anymore. Like and she's a millionaire. That's yeah, what yeah, I can't. Yeah. I'm like, you could get that to this is, fit you. This is not the also, queer like, tradition, ex- not the black queer you. tradition. Thank like you. Where, where, where are you? You're just embarrassing everybody. <laughs> and when we don't have other forms of power, we have pettiness. Yeah, yeah. So we really use it. So that all ended. And then I also you know, cats out of the bag. I'm getting gay divorced. Mm-hmm. And so that that took a real hit. Yeah. And I think I also had lived my relationship very online. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what happens when you're very close friends with like a movement photographer. Right, right, it's like right. <laughs> your whole life is yeah, going to yeah, be yeah, yeah, really yeah. shiny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so in some ways that retreat for me was about just like, I want to meet myself, yeah. honestly, like, mm-hmm. and sort of get regrounded. And so I, I pulled back from a lot of different things and, and, and it's interesting that because of how the work felt so categorically different, and honestly, probably because it was also different people, right? Mm-hmm. I, I was able to keep leaning into the project with dissenters. Mm. And then there's also ways that it, it doesn't even feel like a next. It feels like a full circle moment, yeah, right? right? Like when I first started working with AFSC, it was to talk about local and global militarism. Yeah. Like I'm always out here talking about anti-militarism and people are like, you're weird, Right. Because we, have we so don't have limited a, context and language for even understanding that as an ideology, right. as right. a practice, yeah. as a system. Right. It's just an option. Like. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but in April, we did a little like demill school mm-hmm. with young folks. The War Resisters League out in New York has been mm-hmm. doing a really good job of hiring organizers of color and organizers from the diaspora of places that have experienced mm-hmm. air wars, right, mm-hmm. to actually be trying to lead their work and be when we talk about a new anti-war movement, we're not talking about the same strategies just with new people of color yeah. in charge yeah. now or black people in charge. No, we're talking about we need to organize in different ways also. Mm. Um, so dissenters, I just want to get this on. So dissenters like elevator pitch. Is, so, so we did that youth thing and then it was really exciting because a lot of the same young folks then now came to this dissenters mm. training. Dissenters is trying to build a new anti-militarist youth movement to turn the tides against endless war, right? Mm -hmm. We have kind of three big goals that are to, like, reclaim 
resources from the war industry, right? We want to reinvest those in life-affirming services and mm. programs. We have everything we need. We spend mm. we spent $738 billion on the Pentagon last year. $738 billion, just last year. Our defense budget is what, is it over 50% of the whole budget? It is, of the discretionary. The discretionary. Of the discretionary yeah. budget. So you see like that. Or it's, often, to, it's actually closer to, it's actually 40 is, is the number I saw last time I checked. It's about 53. It depends okay. on if you include you veterans benefits uh, and stuff I, like I, that. I probably did. Yeah. And then when you add in all the secondary industries that are parasitic mm-hmm. to that, mm-hmm. you know, you, it's a... Mm-hmm enormous piece of the pie. Yeah, so we want to reclaim, we want to reinvest, and then we want to restore mm. relationships with each other and with the planet, right? Because we know that the U.S. military is the biggest contributor to greenhouse gases on the planet. Yeah. And so the, the vision for that right now is that we want students organizing on their campuses, in part because people hear ideas of organizing or building power or even revolution, you're like, oh, I have to go join that. Mm. And the reality is like, no, we need everyone where they are doing what they can with the institutions they have leverage over. And Mm. students actually have, like, they have quite a bit of power. And historically, we've seen student-based movements around this country, like, be an incredibly important part of the anti-apartheid movement, South Africa, Palestine Solidarity Movement here with BDS, anti-Vietnam, right? And so, again, we're trying to support a a new generation of young people, and particularly Gen Zers, right, who are 22 and under right now, who all they've known is, like, war is just background noise, right? Like, there haven't even been, like, invasions to, like, quote-unquote oppose, like, when we were kids. Nothing has started. Nothing has started. It's just been going on. God, that's so fucked up. It is fucked up. And and, and so I think it's also— part of what we have to do is even teach what war is in this moment, right? Like Mm -hmm. when everyone's talking about Iran, like, yes, that was terrifying. And I hope and pray that we don't see more escalation in the coming weeks or months. And like those airstrikes happened in Baghdad. Iraqis were killed, right? right? And we are bombing Iraq and Syria and Afghanistan and Pakistan and Libya. I was was just watching some some news get more detail yesterday. And that was the exact thought I was having is this is horrible, dangerous, and irresponsible, but why does an air quote leader warrant more response and care than all of the other thousands right. of people we bombed? Right. right. And, 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 and like, I've been so taught by like Syrians and Iraqis who have experienced the brunt of like the war on terror, right? That like in large part, the remnants of anti-war voices that, that we still have for the most part talk about war as being when our government like invades your state and is in, in a fight with your government. Yeah. But the reality of the war on terror is that all of these state powers are, are colluding. They're all on the same side and they're all, hmm. they're all complicit in it. Mm-hmm. You, the U.S. and Russia and Iran are all leveling yeah. like towns and villages in Iraq and Syria in, in the war on terror. They're hmm. fighting the exact same terror targets. Mm-hmm. Like Soleimani was like one of the masterminds behind the strategy that quote-unquote defeated ISIS, which included killing hella civilians. Like, so how do we start to see our anti-war solidarity and our anti-war work as like, I'm in solidarity with people, not states, right? right? And I'm opposed to this shit happening to people regardless of the position of their government. Mm -hmm. And and I think it's something that actually the rest of the world affords us here in the U.S. all the fucking time. They're so gracious about it. So gracious. Of separating that what the government does is not necessarily... But we, for some reason, if we hear the name of another country, for the most part, I I think it's it's different depending on... I think we've gotten better this time around. I do... This month was Like, not even politically active people, just like... I think the populace, 
there's much less of like, oh yeah, fuck them, go get them. Like, mm-hmm. like the spirit. People. But yeah. I will say it's something that even through all the like stupid Russiagate shit, just the idea of saying, well, they were Russians. It was like, well, right, yeah, yeah, there's like a uh, hundred million people in <laughs> Russia. Like no one was interrogating an affiliation with the state or an affiliation with intelligence. Mm-hmm. It was like, Somebody this was a Russian, Russian person <laughs> who did this. Therefore, it's the Russians. <laughs> um, and that like fueled the, you know, obviously and that's playing on the, the secondary logic of it was Trump is worse because he's not escalating us towards war with Russia. Like that's what mm. so much of the dialogue mm-hmm. was for two years is like, oh, he has to be a puppet because we want to be at the border. We we want to take them down. They're our enemy. And we hear that with Korea too. Right. Right. It's right. like this perverse world of like, particularly like MSNBC, like uh-huh. who are supposed to be the liberal, like from the left, uh-huh. pushing him to the right of uh-huh. be more militaristic, uh-huh. be more violent. Uh-huh. Um, and so like what I think the, the dissenters framework offers is not only just like war and militarism, but violence overall is, is not a justifiable political act or social act, but like, yeah. And I think also really, really trying to hone in on the monopoly that war profiteers and weapons manufacturers have over elected officials Mm -hmm. and the revolving door between defense corporations and the State Department and Congress. You know, like our current secretary of defense, like used to be a lobbyist for Raytheon, one of the Mm -hmm. biggest like Mm -hmm. defense companies. Which just sounds like the most evil corporation name. (laughs) Oh, uh, it is. Yeah, that sounds like a poison. Yeah, yeah. It is. Raytheon is a poison. I mean the company, but I'm saying like that word. No, I'm just saying, yes, it's a toxin in our world. (laughs) It serves the role of this poisonous. Yeah. 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 So in that work, not in contrast, but in conversation with what we were saying earlier about like, how do you bring this home? Mm -hmm. Right. And we know that there's no square inch of soil in this landmass that isn't touched by U.S. militarism. Mm-hmm. What are some of the ideas, tactics, conversations that you try to get students having with each other and with other people bringing them in about how we are impacted every day here? That war isn't something happening over there just because yeah. we've been so effective at insulating ourselves. Yeah. And just to give myself a little bit of room and grace here, yeah. we it just yeah, launched yes, 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 yes. the so, first training. So now what has happened? <laughs> what do you hope the yeah, conversation and, and, yeah. and the, the caveat of this could be personal and might not be yeah, collectively well, thought out yet. And I think also part of it, right, is like black organizers have been part of the conversation and part of helping develop what is the political conversation trying to be with dissenters, right? And recognizing that like we can't talk about wars abroad without talking about wars here. And we understand that they're different, right? Mm-hmm. There are parallels. There are even common people, right? right. Like, especially when we start talking about tear gas and like, yeah. like the companies that produce yeah. tear gas, like wh- and where that's used and how that u- is yeah. used. And at the same time, specificity matters, right? right. And so I, I, I think also I, I was really moved by one of the young women who, who came. She's from the South, white woman from the South, and her dad's a veteran, and he had actually just passed away as a mm-hmm. result of not getting good care from the VA and lingering health impacts from serving. And so how do we recognize? And I think that more people are more willing to recognize too, right? The ways that we are actually all affected by this. I mean, we can really easily talk about money, right? And the ways that like for just what we give Lockheed Martin in a year, we could fund free college for all. Yeah. <laughs> uh, essentially yeah. I might be off by a few billion but like we could find a billion here and there too yeah, yeah. back to I, I know kind of a thing I, I, I'm sorry no, to, go ahead. Uh, to that point of just how complicit we all are I think people can like disassociate again I feel like that's a theme of the day uh, and like make this like a Republican 
problem, mm-hmm. uh, but just how like collective and holistic the mm-hmm. investments in military. So since Trump has been in office, this like horrible person that there's this hashtag capital R resistance on that they're mm-hmm. selling advertisement spots about. They've increased his executive military power mm-hmm. in the budget by I think 150 mm-hmm. billion dollars. Mm-hmm. If this person is a spy, if this person is treasonous, if this person is yeah. off the hinge, but you give them well, and, and <laughs> more money to go bomb. In the 2016 election, I'm defense sorry. companies actually mm-hmm. gave more money to Hillary Clinton. Mm-hmm. Right? You know. We know it's a cross. She's a sure, she was a sure thing. And we know it's and exactly. They put money into both sides because they have a monopoly. Like, right. And, and, and it makes sense. Like, if a congressman in fucking Idaho loses a military base, he's going right. to have people breaking his door down. And so and they were trained to be in the military. That's yeah. not the people you want breaking your door down. <laughs> Those <laughs> are door breakers. Yeah. <laughs> or in you know in Washington state, the people that build Boeing's planes, right? Yeah. What what are their jobs going to be? And so I've mm. been really pushed by some of my friends to th- be thinking about like we really have to think about what this means in terms of labor mm-hmm. and like when we talk about the trade-offs and the monetary trade-offs, it can't just be rhetorical. Yeah. Like we have to be thinking about large-scale economic transformation and Mm -hmm. transition or Mm -hmm. lots of people talk about a just transition but i think the other thing is that like the planet is going to force us to have this reconciliation and either we're going to go the route of hyper militarization that we're already seeing right it's police and militaries who are responding to climate disasters because that's where there's federal dollars for right and then it's going to be our relationships that help keep more people alive throughout all of this or Perhaps if we can build power and get to scale, we can reclaim some of that and there can be other responses. But I I do think that like the moment we're in and and the generation shift, like Gen Zers, if you talk to them, they don't think they're going to live that long. (laughs) Period. Like I say that to say that's some of the work I hope happens. And I already heard it at this first training. Young people were placing themselves in it Mm because also we have a a more diasporic young generation than we've ever had. Mm -hmm. Right. And and that young people from the Philippines are able to talk about the ways right. that U.S. involvement in the Philippines has impacted right. their family. And therefore, they want to be involved in a larger movement to end war and militarism. Personally, like I, it, it took me a long time to start to learn about my lineage and my history to policing mm-hmm. in yeah. this country and to the military. Mm. Uh, you may have already answered this or spoke to it, but I'm going to ask anyway. So over the last... If I do the math, it sounds like at least 15 years or so, your brain, if not your body, has been like actively thinking about how we as a people organize power and how violence and militarism is like at the core of that. Um, And now you're in the space that like might be the most explicitly facing what you've been thinking about for so long. What, if anything, have you learned new in these last six months or eight months about militarism or how to mm. to ground yourself in being in opposition to it? Hmm. I mean, that's a good question. I really appreciate that question because in a lot of ways, I feel like I've been trying, in my work with the centers, I've been trying to bring to bear sort of my experiences as an yeah. org- mm-hmm. organizer working on, you know, other issues, working on policing or anti-criminalization. Is I think in other areas, I've felt more like I have to know before I can act. Hmm. And a big learning for me and something that I'm trying to like offer this new generation is that actually that's used to stop people from getting into action. And actually you don't have to know it all. Mm -hmm. Like you Mm -hmm. can have a core set of values and know enough to take action. And how do we lead with action instead of leading with reading an article? Mm -hmm. Um, But then still try to know it. Absolutely. (laughs) And absolutely. Cause we, cause, but, but that the knowing isn't about being able to beat like some kind of 
know-it-all lefty bro in some kind of debate. That's not the level you need to know. The know is that you you have trust and relationships with other people who are helping you understand how it's impacted them and what we can do about it. And I think that's the other thing of like the bigger things feel – Actually, the more local our responses need mm. to be. That's beautiful. Right? And yeah. so so campuses, uh, and it's it's funny because already a lot of these students are like, the campus is a site of privilege. We must organize people off campus. It's like, no. And I'm like, true, but like how long are you going to be there after you graduate? Yeah. And like what does that mean for those relationships? And that's actually not super authentic, right? Yeah. And also, and this is what I said when we were at, at Latin, because <laughs> we just did a workshop at the Latin school, and I was like, oh, this is a very nice school. Um, but... <laughs> The point of recognizing that privilege or being in a space of privilege or having access to it is that it gives you both a responsibility and an opportunity. Exactly. That's what the privilege is, exactly. right? Is that you can do the thing. Exactly. Yeah. Other yeah. people who don't have that privilege can't take on yeah. that work of transforming the yes. place that is where the yes. resources have been yes. hoarded. And that it's not just are these these schools invested in these war profiteering companies. I mean, they the engineering departments have right. special training programs. The CIA is where recruiting is out of done? your Arabic yeah. program. Right. Yeah. The research centers. Also, just the two-year schools is where there's National Guard recruitment yeah, offices yeah, yeah. stationed oh, inside of them, yeah. right? The depth, actually, and the ag- level of aggression of the military-industrial complex in the ways that it's anchored in higher mm-hmm. institutions of learning is also yeah. a big learning thing for me. Yeah. Mm. Like um, on that primary level of like actual dollars and cents and then on the secondary level of like the intellectual consciousness. Yeah, well, and also just that's where they're getting more people like because, I mean, we live in a war economy. Right. And so much <laughs> of what drives people towards it is debt forgiveness, right? Absolutely. Or citizenship. Or, or free education. Right. And, or I have a job, you know. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's the biggest like yeah. status symbol of like a, a upper class yeah. air quote. And, yeah. and I think the other thing too is learning that like we're in a moment where we can't afford and it's hard because I feel like my lines are very different when it comes to policing. You mm. you wear that badge like I have no uh, nope yeah. Yeah. nope. Yeah. But like I feel like there's a different. There genuinely is just a different level of like almost desperation mm-hmm. and predation on the part of yeah, is that a word that's on so the part of military it's, it's recruiters. It is so predatory. Yeah. And I do, so I don't feel that same level of like we actually need currently enlisted folks mm. on our side as yeah. well. Yeah, and like I feel funny saying it, but I'm like, no, but this is true. And yeah. this is also what's different than 10 years ago yeah. when people love to yeah. just villainize. So what, what do you think? What do you think accounts for that separation for you? I, I have I have an answer. Um, I think one, it is a, a known conscious thing of the military wing is that poverty helps us get recruitment. Right. So like the logic is keeping people down is what we need. So so one, it, it, there is just a certain level of like marginalization that I don't think is the same for somebody within their local police force. And then secondarily, I think for for the work of dissenters, there's there's a history. There's there's not really a history of police organizing against carceral justice. Like right. I, right. I, I don't know of true, bands, true, true. but there's yeah. a long history of soldiers who True. either by force or naivete ended True. up in a situation across Absolutely. the globe. Absolutely. Um, and some of the strongest anti-militaristic forces have come from folks who have experienced it. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. no, that's definitely true. Yeah. That's interesting. What are some examples? I have one, but uh, of that um, historically or contemporarily uh, of people who have been objects and subjects within that economy, people who have been enlisted, taking for people who want to know more about that kind of resistance I mean, work. Contemporary, like, you know, Iraq veterans against the war yeah, were a part is, of the R three coalition. Yeah. That, About face, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, 
But, you know, Vietnam at large, there was a lot of, fo- I mean, even um, Aislinn's father. Aislinn's that, yo. You know, what, what, tell the story. She told it on the She told on it on your, uh, I, I forgot. But, uh, I, forgot. But I, think I just got, listened last week. Yeah, I think he got him listened to Vietnam or was on a no, base. No, no. He was on, yeah, t- no, if you listened recently. I just I listened. But before, <laughs> we've had a lot of shows. <laughs> yeah, no, he, he. I th- I'm pretty sure he had like gotten arrested for something, and the, mm. so his mm, it, choice, it was yeah. either he could enlist or go to prison. Right. He chose to enlist. To pred- so then he's on a base. It's early days of Vietnam, so he's on this base with all these other black soldiers, being like, "Hey, this is why the war in Vietnam's shitty. Come to our teaching." And he's got hundreds of people coming to these teachings on um, the military on the military base. <laughs> and so they were like, "We can't have you doing that anymore." So they locked him up. And then there was, I forget their name, so I'm I'm going to regret this, but it was, there were eight of them and it was free the, yeah, no, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. eight, which we should go look up. Yeah. And everybody um, listen to the Aceland. Yeah. It's in, it's such a powerful story. And I think also though, black GI resistance right. does not get enough attention when we tell stories yeah. of, of. Actually the, 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 well, the national, but there would not have been a black freedom movement if it wasn't for the expanded consciousness of soldiers coming back from World mm, War II, mm-hmm. right? So even, even if they was complicit in American imperialism in some type of way, there was a pr- provocation of consciousness that then came back home in this like anti-state. And that even gets told kind of in mainstream tellings of the civil rights movement, right? Yeah. Is that it was mm-hmm. like seeing the contradiction or the distance between the ideals that they're supposedly protecting yeah. and the reality of people. Segregation just at plain just doesn't work anymore uh, after yeah. I just had that experience. One yeah. saw the world, saw other languages, interact with white people. I had to kill white people. Like, how am I going to come home? <laughs> and, and not then, kill yeah. white people. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, We're white joking. people just told me to go. <laughs> that message is not sponsored by the centers. <laughs> well, no, it's funny. But it's funny. <laughs> it's really funny. It's very real. <laughs> it's funny. My, my little sing-along and with usually a thing about like and let this musical cannon replace any kind of weapon but I actually recently when we were doing it we had a little talent show with all of them and so we did it did the sing-along and ended and I I've just been comp- feeling complicated about the the sort of non-violent stuff because mm-hmm. I don't like to be prescriptive of how people mm-hmm. exercise self-determination and especially like defense right yeah. um and so I think it was like something like and let this musical can replace your need for any kind of weapon unless it's an international struggle for self-determination <laughs> and anti-colonialism. It doesn't fit the bar, though. <laughs> like, That's great. No, I didn't get it. I, I did it better that time. But, uh, but yeah, hilarious. and it's taken me a while to kind of evolve, right, in terms of what I understand to be state violence. And even when we talk about community accountability and transformative justice— that's messy. Yeah, that's yeah. messy because some people's form of TJ yeah. is actually this guy yeah, just yeah. needs yeah. Yeah, needs. yeah. So can I ask one more big question and then we gotta, then we gotta go. move towards yeah, the yeah. end? Yeah, are you, right, are right. you sure? You, <laughs> do you have to go? No, I'm good. So here's my one more big question. Oh, yeah, I gotta go. <laughs> go. One of the things that I mentioned earlier was the like all the ways that every inch here is affected. Yeah, and I think one of the things that I would want to talk about in the context of how do you build ideas around militarism as a system is connecting that to like OG colonialism here mm. and that that was a military endeavor. Absolutely. Um, so how do those conversations go? Cause also people get real touchy about that. Um, but beyond the touching it, like where are the conversations or the coalition work around decolonization in conversations around militarism in your mind? I mean, I don't think I can do it justice, yeah, yeah. you know? I, I, and I think, Again, sometimes we have to, like, not overcomplicate things. Like, again, when you talk to young people and you're like, yeah, yeah indigenous genocide involved warfare, that's a, gi- like, that's a given. And so I think, again, War Resisters League has done a really good job of trying to build with folks struggling around 
like decolonial efforts and like issues of indigenous sovereignty about face, right? Had folks at No Dapple and like yeah. at Standing Rock. Oh, like, that clip is the most, there's a clip of all of these veterans kneeling in front of the elders at Standing Rock and apologizing. Yeah. Mm. And if you want to make Daniel Kisslinger cry, just show me that clip and yeah. I will cry every time. It's like yeah. the most, and not, performative like obviously it was performative but it like it felt sincere enough right. and that was the only way that then they could be welcomed into the space to protect that space was mm. to apologize first yeah it's like oh. yeah and and so and i think <sighs> we have to keep we have to keep reconciling that that's that's on all of us and i think also how do we recognize too that like these systems of of militarism and of policing at the end of the day are also about anti-blackness and anti-blackness being global yeah. and that like you know i think sometimes when we when we in our efforts to like really grasp logics, I feel like sometimes then I, I'm like too worried about trying to get it, like what is the root mm. and the reality that, I don't know, and we try, to, we try to practice this in relationships too, right? Is that like there are multiple truths yeah. and at the same time there are multiple roots. And so how do we recognize that and still organize from an authentic place that is grounded and rooted, but just being clear about like what are my roots that are bringing me to this work where we have shared commitments and shared values. Like, does my trajectory have to be about a decolonial reality or can mm. my trajectory be about challenging anti-black? Like, I, I guess I'm yeah. just trying to complicate, yeah. like, I think sometimes on the left, we get so invested in, in sort of our understandings mm -hmm. that it actually comes at the cost of our movement together. Mm. Solidarity doesn't mean, in the literal sense of the word, unification. Correct. Can I can I offer something to that? Because mm -hmm. you said, like, it's not just one route. So I've been trying to figure out, like, as radical becomes, like, a chic term, like, what's the next? Have we talked about this? No. Like, what's the next? Because we know every idea gets co-opted, mm -hmm. right? So what's the next framework? Mm -hmm. If radical means to the root, we know there are multiple roots, but they're interconnected. So what I'm offering is the idea of mycelial movement mm. work. Uh, so what that is, it's less about getting as deep to the bottom of the roots and more about understanding the network and how things mm. get transferred between them. Mycelium means mushrooms. Mushrooms, right. So what those are... And so that's all the bits between all the different... Exactly. Things. And that's how things... It's how information gets transferred between trees and different plants. Mycelium are closer to animals than they are to plants, but they kind of live in this middle space. They can break down inorganic material and turn it into organic material. They are the largest organisms the on largest land. Largest organism in the world is a mushroom. So, and you know, I'm with you. I'm, I'm moving towards <laughs> calling I'm myself a mycelial movement worker. I'm with it. You know, some some biomimicry. Yeah, we can we can get into the shroom talk with that. Let's do beep, it. Beep, beep, beep. Put it down. Oh, in the that book. feels yeah. great. All right, let's check out. Play the game, and then I gotta I gotta run. There's a game. There is. There is so, a game. Real quick, first to check out. How are you feeling right now? And or what's an idea from our conversation that's sticking with you? I'm feeling sweaty. Nice. It's toasty. And I'm feeling anxious for you getting to the airport. And also the that metaphor you just said. Yeah. I can't say the word yet. Mycelium. <laughs> okay, but I'm with it. Cool. I've been I've been. Uh, tending to my plants a little more in my uh, house nice. and appreciating their growth and their roots. And one of them, right after I got it, grew a mushroom. Ooh, bang. And it was not all bad. Yeah. Nice. Uh, one, I'm, I'm really glad that we were able to document a lot of your arc because you've mm. done and been a part of some really important things. Uh, and I think we have the tendency, particularly those of us with like privilege or from out of town, all the things of like pushing away from what we contribute. And I think that is dehumanizing in a mm. way. So I'm, I'm very glad that we were able to get some of that, that story. And we only did the surface. And then I think the big picture theme 
of just like, we need to be radical. We need to be holistic about what militarism is. Mm -hmm. So that means the armed forces that are, are federal or national that are around the world is the same thing as police departments. And they are operating in unique and special ways in a lot of times. Uh, but our resistance cannot be separate or siloed to those two things. And one without the other is always incomplete. Um, and so that just is just so rooted in my spirit. So being able to to put into real world talk with you has, has been very helpful. Right back mm. at you. One, I just really appreciate how comfortable you were being like, I'm not the expert on that. I'll still be open to talking about it, but I just want to name like, I'm not the person to answer all of that question. And there were like three or four times. So I appreciate that. I think it's like one of the hardest things to do on a microphone. Hmm. So that's awesome. And then the other thing, and this is just something that I don't really know what the reaction was in my body, but the group that went to Palestine being through the church, I just have some unpacking to do around <laughs> that. Um, because I think of so much of like the support of Israel coming from American suburban white churches. And then also like the resist, it's just like, Sometimes <laughs> I just feel world. like sandwiched by Christianity <laughs> yeah, is what I felt. So real. that was what just happened for me. So that's real. just an idea I'm wrestling with. Absolutely. Um, but overall, I really appreciate you. And I'm glad we got your stories here. Before we get out of here, our game. You do it. I'm too wordy. It's going to take too long if I do it. So <laughs> we believe in accountability here, as we've discussed. And we start beef as a form of accountability. So when you look at what historical period has run amok, mm. the 20th century was capital B bonkers. A muck ran. So what we're going to ask you to do here today is any person, place, event, occasion, fashion, Phenomenon, movement, idea, airstrike, anything, th anything that happened between 1900 and 1999. Beef with the 20th century. century. Debbie, go. Okay, I'm going to cheat a little bit because I feel like we don't talk about it enough. I love it. My beef is with the organized white supremacist response to Reconstruction. Ooh. Right. So that was spilled over to it spilled over yeah, yeah, yeah. into the 20th century. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think we were on the edge of some shit in this yeah. place. Like yeah. close some to really, utopia. <laughs> some really uh, we had a long way to go yeah, to yeah. utopia, but we're we, close to the beginning. We were on the edges of some shit. Like like yeah. like four million people who had previously black people who had previously been enslaved are now writing new laws in addition to wealth being redistributed like Creating we can't like there's that's more than land. people currently imprisoned suddenly now right. like i we can't picture it we and can't we picture it we would have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for you meddling whites <laughs> yeah the fucking clan <laughs> pull the mask and off. also it's the perfect scooby doo <laughs> oh. so that's my beef perfect yeah, yeah and yeah. and any history teachers that don't teach real histories of reconstruction do better oh uh, how can folks find you and your work in the ways you want to be found Oh, uh, I don't know. How can folks plug in to, to Black Dissenters. Pink, Dissenters? Okay, so Dissenters is wearedissenters.org. And it's, I think we are Dissenters on all the handles. Mm -hmm. I'm Mad Little Debbie on Twitter. You can follow me on Instagram. You won't see anything. <laughs> I lurk. Uh, yeah, Black and Pink is blackandpink.org. Um, no Cop Academy is still nocopacademy.com, though I don't think there's been any updates on there for about a year. You can see what's on stoplightfoot.com. And also you can buy that uh, URL from Debbie. If you would like stoplightfoot.com. It is for sale. Direct message me that's your, like, Matt Little Debbie. That's your merchandise line. <laughs> that's you my line. sell URLs. <laughs> that's my line. We're at Ergo Radio. I'm at Ergo Kiss. Damon underscore AF. And we'll be back next week with another person reshaping Chicago for the more equitable and creative. Much love right. to the people. Peace. Another week, another ad read. This is one of the odder ones. This week's episode is sponsored by Snake People. 
Cataclysm, memory, mortality. This is the world of Snake People, a post-apocalyptic storytelling game now kickstarting as part of Zine Quest 2. Choose your apocalypse. Tell your story. Search for Snake People on Kickstarter through February 25th. Or visit bit.ly slash snakepeopleks to find out more.